you for listening to Sozo Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information on Sozo Church, visit sozospokane.com. Sozo Church. Good morning, Sozo. How's everybody doing this morning? Happy Mother's Day. Uh, dads, can I get an amen on that one? No matter what we do, we're amateurs. Come on. Um, I remember one, one year I brought my mom home a, a, a clay handprint, and my dad bought my mom a diamond bracelet. And she told me she liked mine better. <coughs> so, uh, yeah, that's just the world we live in, gentlemen. So, hey, we do, we do want to uh, just uh, wish a happy Mother's Day to all of our moms. Uh, blessing and grace upon all of you. Amen. Moms need some extra grace. Uh, I also want to acknowledge those here, uh, just real quick, who, who have lost kids. Come on, this day can be hard for some people. Amen. Uh, those, of, those of you among us who uh, don't have your mom with you, uh, we want to extend a greeting to you as well and, and just know that we are praying for you. And this is a day to, to remember and celebrate the moms in our life. Amen? All right, so uh, we're, we're in a series through the Gospel of John. If you're a guest here with us this morning, uh, we're, we're just, a, we're just a, a, an old school church. Amen? We, uh, we, we like to say around here that we're just putting the fun back in fundamental. Um, I think it should be more fun and less mental. So, uh, so we're, we're just, we're just in, we just like to preach through books of the Bible. Amen? We open the Word. We read it. We see what God would speak to us from it. And so we're just making our way uh, uh, through the Gospel of John and having fun while we do it. Uh, so if you've got your Bibles or if you have a, a phone that you read the Bible off of um, and you want to go ahead and turn to John chapter 12, verse 20. We're going to read a little more than we have been lately, about 10 extra verses. Uh, we're going to read through 36. Once you've found that in your Bible consumption means of choice, let's go ahead and stand to our feet for the reading of God's Word. We love the Bible around here, amen? Amen, amen. We love God's word. So, John chapter 12, verse 20, and reading down to verse 36. Who loves their Bible? Who brought their Bible? <laughs> I, I, I do remember, I remember a, a, a pastor who mentored me once saying that uh, one of the greatest sounds that he hears in his life is the crinkling of the pages of God's word when he tells people to open their Bibles. And I thought, I don't ever get to hear that. Um, instead, I see the glow of God's word on the faces of his people <laughs> as you turn on your tablet or phone. Uh, John chapter 12, verse 20 says this. We read out of the ESV around here. It says, now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, sir, we wish to see Jesus. We learned last week that word see literally means to experience. This is the world crying out. They want to experience Jesus. So Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and, and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life 
loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. I'm going to read that again because we're going to spend some time on that. I want you to hear those words again, hear them clearly. It says, if anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this hour I have but for this purpose, rather, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name that a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the rulers of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest the dark overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Let's pray together this morning, church. Holy Spirit, we thank you. Come on, for your word. God, we come to your word uh, hungry and desperate. Lord, we, we do come to your word as a source of light, God, to illuminate our path. God, we come to your word as, as, a, as a, a place where we can encounter you. You say in your word that, that that's one of the titles for you, that you are the word. And so we come to the word to encounter and experience you, Jesus, to hear you speak your voice in the midst of your word. God, that it would cut through all the noise, that it would cut through all the, 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 the opinions, it would cut through all the shifting fads of society and culture. God, in the midst of all of the noise and all of the chaos of our modern life, Lord, we, we rejoice over the steadfastness of your word. Not the opinions of man, not the, not the doctrines of the church, not the theology and the camps and the tribes and the teams that, that are built around them. But rather, God, we come to encounter you, to hear from you, and God, to receive what it is you say. That it might transform us, God, beyond behavior modification, that it might change who we are. That the very fiber of our being, the very atoms that make us up might be shifted to the frequency of your voice. For our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Come on, everybody said? Go ahead, high five, fist bump, elbow tap, whatever the socially acceptable term is now. Somebody around you real fast and grab a seat. Amen, amen, amen. 
Well, this morning, uh, I want to I kind of take one more pass at this. Um, I honestly thought last week we were, we were going to be done with this little mini-series inside this series. Uh, we've been looking at what we've been calling the journey of sonship. Uh, and I thought we were, we were wrapping it up, but as, I, as I've had uh, some conversations and some email exchanges with some of you, uh, I, I want to do something a little bit different this morning, if you'll let me. Um, I don't want to so much uh, expositorily teach through the scriptures as much as I, I'd like if you'll let me to just pastor you for the next like 30 minutes or 40 minutes or hour and a half, however long I go. Um, um, I, 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 I really firmly believe that, that the Lord is, is, is shifting us in this season, that, that he's refining some things and he's clarifying some things and, and really... This is that, 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 that in this season, we're, we're kind of going through a, a shift or, or a transition. And, and uh, just like when you drive a car, right, that, that shifting between gears is, is, the, is the important piece. It's, it's easy once you're in the gear. I mean, anybody, anybody learn how to drive a stick? Do people even learn how to drive sticks anymore? I hope so. Because when the zombie apocalypse happened, that's probably all that's going to be left. Um, it's kind of nice, though, isn't it? If you don't want your kids to drive your car, just buy a stick. I've learned if you don't want your kids to know what you're saying to your wife in a note, just write it in cursive. <laughs> they don't know what it means. That, that transition, that shift, that, that axis point, if you were, I feel like we're, we're, we're in this, in the midst of the, uh, we're in a season like that in the midst of this. And, and, and I want to make sure that you don't hear this, this teaching about true sonship, about recognizing our identity and who we are because of Jesus as some sort of uh, attempt by me or by others to try to convince you uh, to join a particular theological team. I'm talking to some church people this morning. I get it if, if you, this is kind of, just check Facebook for a second if you need to. But, but I'm, there's sort of sometimes can be, and I'll admit it, I, I, I have fallen into this in seasons before where, where there's been moments where instead of just, come on, opening the scriptures and tr- sort of clearly and as articulately as I can, teaching you what it says, there, there can be a bend sometimes in the heart of a, of a preacher to try to pull you into our camp. Try to get you to agree with us in our little tribe, in our little team of, of, of theological positions. And, and here's what I need you to understand. I do, I'm not doing that as I, as I try to slowly but surely, far more slowly than surely, uh, walk us through this understanding of what it means to be sons of God. To relate to God as Father and to see ourselves as sons. So what I want to do is I want to just, I want to do what I would do with you if we could just, uh, every one of us, just me and you, just sort of sit down over coffee or beer and, um, and discuss this. Doesn't count if I cover the mic. You would pick the beverage, by the way. Um. So I'd like to just walk us through this and pass us through this. And, and here's what I want to here's what I want to say. If, if you're taking notes, uh, go ahead and jot this down if you want. Title for this morning is the imposter. The imposter. This, this should be, <laughs> Lord willing, the last message in this journey of sonship. We'll see. Um, here's what I would want to tell you if you're struggling to grasp this idea of the sonship. The journey of sonship is a journey. 
What I mean by that is it's okay to be in this process. Why I've taken the time to do this is not, please hear me, is not to try to beat you over the head with it, but rather to let you be through, let you be in that journey, let you be engaged in that process. Are you tracking with me? I'm trying to give us time to process this. Originally, all, all, all cards on the table, originally my, my original intent was to do the, the entire journey of sonship as one message, just kind of slam it and go and move on. But, but, but I recognize that this is such an important piece of what I believe God is, is, is doing in positioning us that I need to make sure that you have time to process through it. That you've got the, that you've got the necessary uh, space to sort of digest this thing. So, so one last time, the journey of sonship looks like falling, being planted, dying, and being fruitful. This is, this is the, the path that Jesus said he was walking. And as we read in the text, he, he invites us, come on, he said to follow him, amen, along the same path. To follow him amongst the, this, this, this same journey of sonship. We said this multiple times, I'll continue to say it. Uh, that, that this, this trip that we go on, this journey that we go on, this adventure that we're invited into is to prove to us, amen, that we are sons, not to earn merit or somehow achieve our sonship. It's not, hey, if you go on this journey, then you get to be a son. No, you, you, you. We are made like Jesus by Jesus. If I could go back and add it, to the glory of Jesus. Right? He gets all the glory for who we are. We don't. So, so me, me trying to I- encourage you, explain to you, exhort you, can I say convince you that you are a son, is not me trying to puff up your ego. It's me trying to, to encourage you to, to give to Jesus the full measure of glory that is due him for what he accomplished for you. He did it, and he offers it to us as a gift, amen, and now we, to, to honor him, to glorify him, we walk out in the fullness of what he's achieved and accomplished for us. Tracking together? So we're made like Jesus by Jesus. So we, we said last week that, that this journey of sonship, this falling, this being planted, this, 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 this dying, this bearing fruit, we tracked that out. And we saw that as, as this is, is like yielding to God as Father, it's trusting God as Father, and it's depending upon God as Father. That's the process that we're on. Yielding, trusting, and depending. Relating to God as Father. What I need us to see is this is not just a box that we just check off of. Okay, I did that, now I'm going to move on. This is a journey, it's a process, it's a it's a, it's a grace period that God gives us to mold and to shape our hearts, to convince us that we are who he's called us to be. What I want to do today is try to not convince you. I, I want to try to compel you to go on this journey. And here's what I want you to see. I want you to see the promised end of this journey. Because here's the truth, beloved. This journey is, is just like God. It's not safe, but it is good. It's not easy. It's, it's, it's certainly not, come on somebody, it's certainly not pain-free. It's certainly not without its struggles and its dark moments. It's certainly not without, without what David called the valley of the shadow of death. But it's taking this journey because his glory, come on, is worth it. 
And what Jesus promises us in this, in this, in this, the end of this thing, in verse 26, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. Catch what he says here. And where I am, there will my servant be also. Here's what I need you to see. The promised end is to be where Jesus is, not where he will be. I'm going to give you like 30 seconds to let that sit in for a second. Because here's what most of the time, when most people read this verse, that where I am, there my servants will be also. Echoes again, and I think it's uh, chapter 14, verse somewhere around 3. He says that where I am, there you may be as well. Too often what we hear when we hear that is a promise for heaven. Hey, if you go on this journey, then you get to go to heaven. Here's the problem. Your, your entry into heaven is a gift given to you, not something you earn. So Jesus, first off, theologically, doctrinally, cannot be speaking about our, our entry into heaven. But also even grammatically in the text, it makes no sense to say that's heaven. Jesus is standing. I know this is going to shock you. Okay, you ready to be shocked? Jesus is standing in front of them when he talks to them. Wow. Right, like, like, like anybody go to Sunday school, right? Like, like Jesus was on the flannel graph. He wasn't floating in heaven. He was like, he was, he was, he was long feathered hair, long robe Jesus. He wasn't in heaven Jesus. What he's saying is this, hey, you follow me, and where I am right now, you get to be here too. Because we're made like Jesus by Jesus. I taught you this 17 years ago when we started John. That Jesus is presented to us in the gospel of John as a rabbi. Remember that? And rabbis have disciples. And a disciple's job is to be with their rabbi so they can be like their rabbi. A rabbi's job is to make their disciples like them. How many of you think that Jesus was the best rabbi ever? Okay? Jesus was the best rabbi. So if a rabbi's job was to reproduce himself, how many of you think Jesus accomplished that goal? He who, he who began a good work in you, he is faithful, come on, to complete it. So Jesus is saying here, listen, I'm going on this journey to, to qualify you, to make you sons. I'm sending you on this journey so you can be like me in the earth today. Remember, I, I taught you this last week, remember that Jesus does this in response to the world coming to him with the desire to see him. Very, I know this is way too practical for all the hyper-spiritual people in the room. But just simply, practically, Jesus here is acknowledging that if the whole world wants to experience him, there's got to be more representations of sonship in the earth than just him. Now let's be super clear. You never get to be Jesus. You never get to graduate and like go be Jesus to your own little planet off somewhere. Those are Mormons. They're a cult. Don't listen to them. Somebody just was like, oh, that's not a, like, sh that's not like a, that is not even the, that doesn't even register on the list of things I'm going to say today. Okay? Like, not even close. We were just at a pastor's conference, and one of the pastors, uh, one, one, a guy who has been a spiritual father in my life, he, he said sucks or crap or something like that, and then apologized to church, and I'm a, I won't say who it was, but somebody on our leadership team was sitting behind me and loudly said, it's not even the worst thing we hear on Sundays. 
the bus just went right over me. I looked at my wife and she said, it's true. I was like, you, I got nobody on my team anymore. <laughs> okay, listen, well, I'm not saying that we get, we get, to, we get to be, Je- okay, we don't get to be Jesus in heaven. We get to be Jesus on earth. You, you okay, in case you were here because you thought this is what we believed, you never get to be omnipotent. You never get to be omniscient. You never get to know everything and do everything and have all the power. This is what, like, like I've said before, Jesus is not running for re-election, okay? He is enthroned, okay? He's enthroned in heaven. So he, he's not getting up, okay? He sits there. It's his throne. Now, I could really freak you out and tell you that Ephesians tells you that you are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, but that's a whole other teaching, what I'm trying to get us to see is this. Jesus, in this promise of it, as we engage in this journey of sonship, he's trying to get us to be the answer that the world needs, come on somebody, for their desire to see Jesus. I, I'm, I just, again, I'm, I'm just pastor. This is what I would do if we were sitting over a table. The, 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 the world has seen the church and is still wanting. The world doesn't need to see the church I fear that pastors, I'm talking to myself here, that pastors think we just need to have better and better and better church services and that will fix the world. Beloved, listen, if if better church services would do it, we would have figured it out by now. Because come on, how many of y'all have have enjoyed ever before the buffet uh, that is the, the American church? Like you can get whatever kind you want. It's like Golden Corral. Right, like, 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 if you want to, ladies, if you want to wear long denim dresses and have your hair in a bun all the time, we got churches for that. Now, mind you, you're going to have to name all of your sons after Old Testament prophets. But we got those churches. You, you want laser beams and smoke and trains going across stage? We got those kind of churches too. You, you, do, do you want the In-N-Out Burger Church, you know, the one that you can go into 45 minutes and go home? We got those. You want the kind of churches that you're there all day long and nine people get up and preach messages longer than mine? We have those too. If it was a means of just finding the right way to do church and that's what's going to fix the world, we would have fixed it already. I know this is going to sound controversial, but it's really not. The world doesn't need a better church. It needs a better representation of Jesus. It needs us to be Jesus out there. I hope y'all can be Jesus in here. Right, like that should, this should be, come on, the easiest place that you're like Jesus. This should be like, like warm up and stretching. Then you got to go out there and lift the heavy stuff. These are the warm up sets, that's the working sets. Come on somebody. Okay, that, that's, that's just the way it's got to be. I, I love the gathering of the saints, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about it today. So, so here's, here's what I want us to get. We, we are called to be Jesus, where Jesus is in, in the gospel. What, what I'm trying to get us to see is as we've looked at Jesus, we are now called to live like Jesus. To be the representation of, of, of a father-son relationship in the earth. We're going to get to that next week. This week i got to do something else. We're made like Jesus by Jesus. Here's the problem. There's something crippling the people of God in the earth today. And that is that we struggle to embrace our identity as true sons because we're plagued by something that sociologists call the imposter syndrome. 
the imposter syndrome. This is, this is, this is an interesting thing discovered, uh, sort of uh, labeled uh, around 50 years ago. I think it's, it, is, it is massively, massively the thing holding many of us back. So today, I'm just going to be honest, my goal is to try to kill the imposter in you so the son in you can live. 2 Corinthians 15.3 says, says to, to, to test yourself to see if you're in the faith. Can I tell you the fruit of that is always good? The fruit of that is always good. Because listen, if you are in the faith, you'll have an assurance that you are. And if you're not, you can get there. Right? Like, like, like. Y'all get, right, that it's free entry into the family? Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Come on, it's, it, who, who makes us like Jesus? So who gets the glory for us being like Jesus? Okay, so, 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 so let's, let's track this here. Imposter syndrome. What is imposter syndrome? Imposter syndrome is an internalized fear of being exposed as a fraud. It was first discovered by sociologists as it related to highly successful people. These are people who are very successful in whatever field they're in. They, they, these are Nobel Prize winners. These are, are generals. These are business leaders. These are government leaders. These are people that everyone around them would look and say, that is a, that is a solid, successful, gifted, talented person. But that person feels like they've only gotten there by mistake, by accident. That somehow everyone around them thinks they're more talented and gifted than they realize. They, they, they fear that if people really knew how, how ill-equipped they were, come on, to do the job ahead of them, that they would be exposed and they would be covered in shame. Imposters are convinced that they are frauds, and therefore they fear the shame of exposure. Therefore, um, imposters hide. They hide who they really are. Again, originally this was believed to be something that only plagued highly successful people, but actually as they dove into this, they found that it's one of the primary reasons people do not stretch and do not attempt to do things they believe that are beyond their capacity. Because they think that where they are already is a fraud to begin with. And so why would they ever try to go out for any sort of anything better? And I want to be really clear right now. I am, this has, certainly has applications to your career and your family and your relationships and all that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm trying to relate this in how we relate to the Father. Many of us feel that this language of you are a son of God, you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's great for, for, for Susie over there and for, for, for Billy over there. But, you know, that's not really me. I'm just here by accident. I'm just, I just sort of stumbled into church and you're just sort of talking, but this doesn't, really, this doesn't really apply to me. You have this internalized fear that you're going to be exposed as a fraud. And you've built up this list of evidence in your head. Here's the real dangerous part uh, of, the, of the imposter syndrome. Any, any evidence to the positive that you are a son of God, you go, well, that was just a mistake. I didn't really mean to do that. It was an accident. It just sort of happened. Other people helped. It wasn't really me. So you, 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 you write off any evidence that you are a son, and any time anything ever happens that, that would be proper evidence to deny your sonship, you hold that up and go, see, I told you I wasn't a son. Every time you sin, every time you fall, every time you struggle, every time you, you react in a way that you know the son of God would not react, you go, see, I'm not really a son. And the danger of this is that when you struggle with this, instead of, instead of running to those that God puts in our life to be the conduits of grace and saying, hey, I don't know what's going on, I'm struggling with this, because we're afraid of being exposed, we hide instead. 
because we fear that exposure would bring shame. And so we hide from it. Thankfully, we have a beautiful picture in the Old Testament. And so we're going to read the whole Old Testament. We have a beautiful picture of an imposter. His name's Jacob. Everybody say Jacob. You can jot down that re- those references. No, we're not going to read it all. And all God's people said. Um, I'm going to reference these as, as we go through. I'm not going to go back because I honestly do not have time. I, I want to just sort of recap the life of Jacob here in, in the most uh, high-altitude overview I possibly can. If you don't know the life of, of Jacob, I want to encourage you, if you like homework, uh, read. Read through that. G- uh, Genesis 25, 19 is his birth. 49, uh, 33 is, is, his, is the end of his death. And so you, you can read through that and sort of see what I'm saying, but I'm just going to sort of hit the highlights this morning and try to, try to give us an idea of this. Uh, Jacob, just so we know kind of where we're fitting at in the, in, the, in the context of the story of the Old Testament, this is early on. So this is Abraham is his grandpa, Isaac is his dad, Jacob is himself. Esau is his brother. He was born as a twin, and while he was in the womb... The Bible says that he and his brother Esau were warring against each other. And God prophesied, actually, that the one that, that, that came out second would actually be the one that would rule over the one that came out first. He said that the younger will rule over the older. And yet when he was born, he, he wasn't labeled from that prophetic word. He wasn't named after the promise that was given to his grandpa Abraham or to his father Isaac. Rather, he was labeled as a trickster, because when he came out of the womb, he was grabbing his brother's heel. He was labeled Jacob. It literally means one who tries to trip up another, one who tries to trick another, one who tries to take the place of another. Jacob is labeled. I've always wondered, why wasn't he labeled? Why wasn't he named after the prophetic word as, a, as, as the one who would rule? Why wasn't he labeled uh, after, the, after the promise of God? Many of us, come on, are labeled wrong. Now I want to be clear. We're going to see this in a second. Jacob freaking earns his label. And I want to be clear. The Bible does teach that outside of Christ, we are all sinners. That we are without hope. That we are, the Bible even uses language so strong as to say that we are born as enemies of God. But listen to me, that's a bad place to start your theology. Okay, I'm going to talk to all my fellow Reformed people in the room. Okay, I am a card-carrying member of your club. I am more committed than you are. I have a tulip tattooed on my arm. I win. Total depravity is a stupid place to start your theology. I believe it. I believe that outside of Christ, come on, we are totally and utterly depraved. We are without hope. And yet that's not where the scriptures start. They start with a good God who in the beginning made all things good. It starts even even at the moment of the, the entry of sin into our life. starts with a God, come on somebody, who promises our deliverance. And yet that's not how we start. We start with you suck. You do, by the way. But we ought to start with his goodness. We have to start with his promise. We have to start with the fact that he is so good that even when we tried to rebel against him, he defeated our rebellion. 
that when we tried to reject him, he rejected our rejection. He showed up anyways. I, 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 I got to wonder. I mean, I, I, we will never know. What if Jacob wasn't named Jacob? What if Jacob wasn't fed this, 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 this teaching that all he was ever going to be was a trickster? What would have changed? Now, again, Jacob earns his, his label by his actions. Amen? If you know the story of Jacob at all, he, he's, he's, a, he's a character, bro. Uh, he tricks and takes advantage of his brother in a time of desperation and need. He lies to his father to steal the birthright and the blessing of the firstborn. He's not a good guy. <laughs> Jacob earns. He, he lives out. So, so li listen to me. Outside of the redemptive work of Christ, you're not just hypothetically a sinner. You earn that label. Amen? Such an uplifting message, Pastor. Thank you so much. Jacob goes on this, this journey of behaving the way that he is, is labeled. And then something amazing happens. He, he does this, right? I know I'm I told you this is going to be a fast look at the life of Jacob. He steals, literally, his, his, his father is so old that he's blind and hard of hearing. And so Jacob tricks an old, blind, nearly deaf man into giving him the blessing. Somebody say, not a good guy. Okay, not a good guy. He's a trickster. He's a thief. His brother is a little upset at this. And does what all big brothers do when they get upset at their little brothers they commit to killing them. <laughs> Except the problem is Esau can actually do it. <laughs> the Bible, I love the way the Bible describes Esau. It just says he's red-haired and hairy all over. Which was like my son when he was first born, by the way. Just a side note. Um, my son was born with a full, dark, thick, black hair that went from the tip of his head all the way down his back. He looked like a wolverine. It was awesome. I think it's because he was born in Montana, and Montana just somehow, he then grew a toddler to be a bowling ball with arms and legs. It was great. He's not in the room, so I can talk about him. Happy Mother's Day. Um, Esau, was a, Esau was a man. He was a, he was a hunter. He was a gatherer. He was a warrior. He was a strong man. And when his brother steals from him this, this last time after taking advantage of him, after manipulating situations, after, after just being a little brat, finally Esau's had enough. So, 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 so Jacob, the Bible says, I love this, it says that Esau was a man of the fields and he was a hunter and he was a gatherer. And the, the Bible describes Jacob as one who liked to be in the tents with the women. I used to say when I was a youth pastor, Jacob was metrosexual. Jacob liked to shop for shoes. Jacob liked to just hang around. Jacob liked to find the right kind of lotion so his hands were not too calloused. Jacob was just that kind of dude. So in, he was fully aware, and his mother was fully aware, that if it came down to a confrontation between him and Esau, Esau was going to win without even trying. So, so, so Jacob used the only, in, in this battle, used the only martial arts move that is guaranteed to win every time. Are you ready? The ancient... It's an ancient martial art move called shoshu. It's where you turn around, you run, and you show them your shoe. And you run away. That's bad. Don't laugh at that. That's bad. Um, but he ran away. He runs away, and he runs away. And, and while he's running, something amazing happens. He has a supernatural encounter with God in a place called Bethel. 
Beth El is actually literally translates to the house. Beth is house in Hebrew. El is God. It's the house of God. He has an encounter with God in the house of God. Literally, he, 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 he sees uh, into the unseen realm. He hears the voice of God. God, God conveys upon him the promise of his, of, his, of his grandpa Abraham, of his father Isaac. He conveys this to Jacob. Jacob has an amazing supernatural experience. He makes a, a vow in that place. And nothing changes. Nothing. I said I wanted to pass through this morning. Some of you are hoping that just another supernatural experience will fix the problem. And I'm here to lovingly tell you it won't. See, I fear that too many Christians just substitute an, a substance addiction for a supernatural experience addiction. We substitute some, some sort of rush or high we got from some sinful behavior, and we just go looking for that in the context of a worship experience, in a message, in some sort of supernatural thing. And we run around and we chase these experiences, hoping, rightly, hoping out of a good heart most of the time, that it will somehow fix whatever is broken inside of us. But the problem is, you still think you're an imposter. You know that you tricked your way into where you are. You have a long laundry list of stuff that proves that you do not deserve to be where you are. And so these, these experiences that we have don't actually end up fixing anything. And listen, come on, I, I mean, this should go without saying, okay? So just, I mean, be ready to be shocked. I'm a big fan of church. I firmly believe that I got hired at the first church I got hired at because I would never leave. I would just be there all the time. They'd be like, we would like to go. I'd be like, I would like to not go. Here's a key. <laughs> I, love, I love worship. Y'all get this, right? I mean, again, we're just having coffee. I, I don't lead worship because we don't have other people that can do it. I continue to lead worship because I love to lead us in worship. And y'all don't seem to hate it too much. <laughs> okay, it's, I love the, the praises of God's people. I love the way that God comes and meets us when we exalt him together. I love the reality of him being enthroned, of him coming and sitting and ruling and reigning in the midst of his people as we worship. I love that. But listen to me. Chasing those experiences. If you think of this, if you think of your Sunday, I love you. And just, I'm, not trying to, I'm not trying to nitpick words, but listen. If you think of Sunday like, well, i got to go get recharged to go back out for the rest of the week. Trade in your, your battery for an extension cord. Stay plugged into him all the time. You won't be able to go as far, but you'll be able to do more. This isn't about recharging some sort of spiritual battery. Your problem is not that you haven't had a good enough spiritual encounter yet. If spiritual encounters changed people, everyone would be changed by now. Because we discovered reverb, and it makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up. And it sounds like Jesus. 
And come on, spiritual experiences can be places where, 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 where manipulation happens. Come on, am I talking to anybody this morning? Your kids would, would forever be changed by summer camp. Because, man, we, when I was a youth pastor, we were good at filling up altars. Fill up full, just, man, every altar we ever had at youth camp was just full of snot all over the floor. Kids crying and confessing all kinds of stuff that I never wanted to hear. And I love that. I love it when God touches his people. But it, it has to go beyond that. And it doesn't in Jacob's life, and it often doesn't in our life. So what happens? He continues to scheme and cheat. He goes and he ends up with, with his extended family, Laban, and, and he falls in love. And just don't worry. It, it, it's a different time. He falls in love with his cousin. You shouldn't. Um, falls in love with Rachel. He gets so obsessed and so in love with Rachel that, that he goes to Laban. He says, what do I have to do to, to get Rachel to be my wife? Laban says, work for me for seven years. He, he, he does. He works for Laban for seven years. The Bible says that it went by as if it was no time because he was just so in love with Rachel. And, and so he, he finally comes to his wedding and, and he gets married and he has the wedding night, PG. And then he wakes up and uh-oh, because he was drunk and it was dark, it wasn't Rachel, it was Leah. Uh-oh. And he goes to Laban, he's like, what in the what? Because <laughs> the Bible says Rachel was gorgeous, and literally the most direct translation when describing Leah was she was cross-eyed. I don't write the Bible, I don't write the, I don't write the mail, I just deliver it. And, and so he wakes up and he's like, nope, not what I worked for seven years for. And Laban's like, oh, I'm sorry, did I trick you and you've been tricking me this whole time, sucker? Um, he goes, you reap what you sow, and so you got to work seven more years, and then I'll give you Rachel. So he does, and he gets Rachel, and he continues to just scheme and cheat his way to try to take advantage of his father-in-law. Just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean it's endorsed by the Bible. Don't do that. And so he just continues to scheme and cheat, and he begins to reap what he's sowing, though, and eventually his, 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 his welcome in his father-in-law's house wears out. And so he runs out of places to hide, and he has to go face his past. I wish I had an hour and a half to talk to you about that. So many of us, come on, are just trying to hop from one place to another place and thinking, thinking, come on, that we don't, that we can somehow outrun our past. Here, here's, here's, here's some bad news for you that's actually good news. When you move, the only thing you don't have to pack up is all your baggage. It comes right along with you. And, and listen, if you're new here and you discover this church, and, and if you're within the first few weeks, I, 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 you can come tell me this, that's fine, but I know this is the greatest church you've ever been at, and it's just wonderful, and the last church you were at was horrible, and this is just wonderful, but just wait another six weeks and we'll piss you off too. Um, because you're still you, see I told you, you're still you, I thought he was paying attention, what, he's serious, uh, because this church is filled with just as jacked up people as your last church was. I mean, that's why you're here. So um, the pastor is just as flawed as your last pastor. And he does just as he messes up. And he, you, you try, we don't have to, we, we try to outrun our baggage. But eventually you're going to have to try to stop and go, Lord, what are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to do in me? What are you trying to, what are you trying to get at? See, in his goodness... He will chase you even when you are running from him. 
because he's better at keeping promises than you are. And so the imposter finally has nowhere else to run and he has to go home, but he's aware that Esau still lives at home. Even though it's been, some people think 20, 30, 40 years at this point, he still knows, come on, Esau's at home and Esau still probably ain't happy. So now with nowhere else to go, confronted, planted, come on, nowhere else to hide, Jacob does what he should have done all along. He gets alone with God and he wrestles with God. I, I, man, I love, I love this story. If I had more time, I would go there. But I love the way it describes this. Jacob is, is getting ready to go meet his brother and he comes to a river and he knows, he knows and he's right that, that, that Esau is going to kill Jacob. So what does he do? He takes everything he owns, everything he loves, and everyone in his life, and he sends them to the other side of the river. And he gets alone with God. Because he knows that what he's about to do, come on, is not safe for anybody else to be around. You've got to get to a place where you are willing to get alone and get real face to face, come on somebody, with the Father. And you got to go, either you are my father or you're not my father. Either you are good or you're not good, but i got to see for myself. And, and listen, listen, you can, you can partially do that here, but it's going to take some work outside of this place. It's going to take some early mornings. It's going to take some late nights. It's going to take some skipped lunch breaks at work. And finding a quiet place alone. And getting really real with you and God. And literally what the, what the scripture says, he wrestles with God. In one sense, I have no idea what, that li- what that's like. And in another sense, I know exactly, come on somebody, what they're talking about. And here's the deal. This is, this is the key point that you've got to catch. He's not wrestling with God to change his circumstances. He's wrestling with God because he needs to change. He he, literally comes to the end of the day and God says, listen, time's up. This is over. We're done. And Jacob says, I I know you're saying we're done, but I say we're not. I'm not. This is what he says. I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. He doesn't say, I'm not going to let you go until you promise me that I can be victorious over there. I'm not going to let you go until you go send an angel to kill Esau. I'm not going to let you go until you, 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 you teach me how to build a, a bigger sword than Esau has. I'm not going to let you go until you shield me with armor. I'm not going to let you go until you build me an army. No, he says, I'm not going to let you go until you change who I am because Jacob can't go meet Esau. So God does two things. He changes his name. And he changes the way he walks. He says, your name used to be Jacob. That's what you were labeled. And listen, buddy, that's what you were. You were Jacob. Man, you, that's, a, that's a name. That is a name tag that you wrote yourself. And you, you, you wore that sucker proudly. But from this day forward, 
Your name's not the trickster. Your name's not, come on, your name's not the schemer. Your name is not the one who tries to steal what belongs to another. Your name now is you've wrestled with man and you've wrestled with God and you've overcome. Your name is Israel. And Jacob, in that moment, so he changed his name. The other thing he does, and I love this, he, this is where I, I, I just find it awesome that he's wrestling with God. But then the scriptures include this little detail. That when, when God was done, he touched Jacob's hip, and it ripped out of the socket. So how much y'all think Jesus was pulling some punches? He's like, no, 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 buddy, you don't understand. We're done. And the Bible says Jacob walked with a limp. He leaned on a cane forever. He learned to trust, and he learned to yield, and he learned to depend on something beyond just his own capability. He walked with him. And as you see Jacob from that moment forward, he goes from being a trickster to being a blesser. All we see of Jacob from this moment forward is blessing and blessing and blessing. He's blessing his son. He, he, gives, he gives Joseph a coat of many colors. He blesses his son. He, when, when, he, when he comes to the end of his life and he's presented with, with Joseph's kids, he blesses his grandkids. He blesses each and every one of his children. He learned better than his father. Come on, somebody. Not to just pick one. Come on. But he blesses them all. He blesses his, his kids. He experiences not behavior modification, but being transformation. Jacob's different after that wrestle. Church services, I love you, are not going to fix you. Listen, if, a, if the right sermon could fix your problem, it would have fixed it already. Like, 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 I'm fully aware that y'all could go on, you, many of you do, go on YouTube any day of the week and hear sermons ten times better than anything I will ever be able to muster here. Good teaching and preaching is not going to fix your problem. It's not going to make you believe any more that you're a son. What I'm trying to do today, what I'm trying, over this little cup of coffee, what I'm trying to do is convince you to get alone with God on your own time and, and get and wrestle face to face with the father until the imposter is gone and all that is left is the son. And it's going to, oh, beloved, it's, it, it's going to suck so bad. But it's going to be so worth it. Because there's a peace that comes. There's a peace that comes when you know you're a son. And when, when everything in your life goes horrifically sideways, when the imposter's gone, you don't wonder if God's mad at you. You know he's good, and so you, you, you can see beyond the stuff, I'm going to be good, the stuff, and see the Father who's always and only who only ever does you good. It certainly doesn't look the way I want it to look all the time. I'll be totally real. I don't know that it's ever looked the way I want it to look. But I know it's good because I know he can't do anything other than good. So the timing's always off. I've learned this. Have you learned this? God does not care what your schedule is. I have brought all kinds of timetables to the Lord. And he's like, oh, that's cute. 
I'm going to put that on my fridge. <laughs> it's as useless as the handprint you gave your mom. Um, his plan is always better. But if, if we don't root this out, come on, somebody. If we don't root this out, we're never going to know. We're never going to, two things. We're never going to know the peace that, that is ours in Christ as sons. And we're never going to know the power that is ours in Christ as sons. And the world desperately needs us to have both. Because again, the world does not need to see the church more clearly. It needs to see Jesus more clearly. Let's stand to our feet. I want to be really clear. What you need, what you need is not, look, look, Jacob got everything that the world says you need to fix your problem, didn't he? He was somehow able to, to scheme his way into getting all of the blessing from his family. He was somehow able to, to, to have great spiritual experiences. He was somehow able to find a family to, to build. He had wives and he had kids and he had money and he had success and he had all of these things and yet none of it fixed the problem. And it won't fix your problem either. You need to be transformed. coming to the point in my life where when I say the other day, it can either mean five days ago or 15 years ago. But the other day I was reading, I was reading a story. This was actually just a few weeks ago. I was, I was reading a story. Anybody else have like a news feed app that you don't know why you read some of the stuff you read? Reading a story, I don't remember who, it, who wrote it or what, what, you know, magazine feed thing it was in. But it was, it was actually a story from the 70s of a rug maker in the Middle East. World-renowned rug maker, hand-stitched together rugs. Was known throughout the region and, and even the world apparently as just the master of that craft. He had a daughter, I can't remember, four, five, six years old. And she came into his shop and wanted to help him. I want to learn to do what you do. I want to help you. So together they made a rug, and he presented it, and the world stood in awe. It was, it was, it was accepted across the board as the greatest rug that had ever been hand-stitched in this style. And interviewers began to flood to this man, and they began to just praise his daughter because, man, if, if she's able at this age, they said, to, to, to do this, she must have inherited such skill from you. Just genetically, she just must, you know, just maybe hanging around so much, whatever it was, she just she just made this amazing thing. What this is the question they asked him, what what kind of amazing future will she have? She will greatly surpass you, they said. And he says, I certainly hope so, and it certainly is, I think, the finest rug I've ever made. But what you fail to understand, he explained to the interviewers, was this. Every single stitch that my daughter did was wrong. She failed at every turn. 
Every stitch she did was wrong. Every stitch she did was misplaced. Every stitch she did wasn't done correctly. And they said, how then did this rug turn out this way? And he said, because I went went behind her and I anticipated her mistakes. And I fixed every stitch. And I wove together her mistakes with my plan. And what you see before you is the result of that. know that for those who love God, all things work together for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called, and those whom He called, He also justified, And those whom he justified, he also glorified. I'm not standing up here this morning and telling you, you've never made a mistake, you're wonderful, and and the evidence of your sonship is is your realized perfection in this moment. I'm up here telling you that your heavenly father is better at grace than you are at sin. listen to me, this this is irrelevant to you if you're not. If you're still attempting to try to do it all by your own strength and your own ability, if you're you're still trying to earn or merit your own standing with God, then, then everything that I'm saying in this entire message, frankly in this entire series, does not apply to you. Am I being clear? There's only one way To be a son of God. And that is by being made one by the son of God. The Bible lays out that process crystal clear. We experience that adoption. We experience that redemption. We receive that gift by repentance and faith. By repenting and believing. Repentance simply means to admit and abandon that label, that name that you've been walking around and listen and proving every day of your life. It means taking it off. One of my favorite verses, uh, Revelation two. I'm going to say fourteen, but I don't think that's right. Describes the encounter that we have with with Jesus, and it says that 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 He gives us a white stone upon which is written a name that only He knows and only we know. He knows what your name really is. You might love your name. You might hate your name. You might be named after an Old Testament prophet. It doesn't matter. He knows your name. He knows your name. So we admit and we abandon the label and the behavior that reinforces and proves the label. That word believe does not mean that we intellectually acknowledge the truth of something. It means we embrace and we entrust. The picture is not 
that you check the box that yes, you agree with the doctrine statement. The picture is that you grab a hold of the life raft as the only means by which you are going to make it through the storm. And the Bible says that when that happens, we move from being dead to being alive. From being an enemy of God. And instantaneously, we become family with God. The Bible says we move from being a sinner to being a saint. sinner to being a saint. And my plea to you this morning, whenever you're listening to this, driving on the road in your car, I don't know, is that you would repent and believe, that you would admit and abandon the label that's been put on you, the label that you've earned. For some of you, the label that you love let it go. And you would embrace the one who is better than everything. If you're doing that, I, I want to encourage you to let us know. Not, not, not to puff up our ego or not to, so we can post some ridiculous number on the internet. That's not who we are. Can I get an amen from our church? Come on. We, we, want to, we, want you to, we want you to let us know so that we can come alongside you and we can welcome you into this family. Because the Bible promises this, that not only are you made a son, but that he takes you from your isolated state of being alone and he places you in the midst of the family. And like all families, we got weird Uncle Jerry's, but that's okay. Life's better together. And we believe around here that the single primary, not the single, sorry, the primary conduit, the grace of God into our lives is one another. So we just want to be able to be a conduit into your life. And here's the cool part. We want you to be a conduit of grace into our lives. So if, it, if, you're, if you're bold enough, we would love it if you'd go over. We have some, a team of people by the cross. They're a prayer team. We'll, we'll talk about them a little, in a second. Let them know. They'd love to pray with you and stand with you. But if you're, not, if you're not comfortable with that, maybe even just grabbing one of those welcome home cards that Doug talked about and letting us know on that. If you're online, messaging us by whatever internet means you want. Let us know so that we can walk with you, we can help you, we can thing together. Listen, uh, for the rest of us this morning, we're, we're going to respond. We're going to take communion. If you're a believer here, whether you've been one for a long time or you just became one right now, uh, we want to invite you to take communion with us. We take communion by two, two ways. First off, we do still offer in this season right now uh, what I so lovingly refer to as Keurig communion, prepackaged communion. Uh, on the tables in the back of the room, there are those little packages of what they tell us on the package is a, a wafer. And what they tell us on the package is grape juice. I'm not legally liable for those descriptions. Um, but they are available. If you, Honestly, if you feel more comfortable partaking that way, we would open that up to you so you can do that. But for those of you who do wish, we, we do here take by method known as a teaching primarily where you take a piece of bread, dip the corner in uh, the juice and partake. White tables on the edges here are gluten-free. For those of you who need that, please uh, uh, feel free to partake that way. Tables are open to all who put their faith in Jesus. If you're a guest here with us this morning and you're a, a believer, you're welcome to take communion with us. Uh, we do use the secret handshake, but you know that if you're really a Christian. Um, really hoping that imposter syndrome, aren't I? No, there's no secret handshake. Uh, there's no anything. Um, only cults have secret handshakes. Um, so th this is open to all who put their faith in Christ, so you're welcome to come forward and partake with us. We also, we also respond through celebration, so we're going to worship. 
We also believe that there is a, a place for contemplation and communion one with another. So that team that I mentioned before that's over by the cross, they would love to stand with you and pray with you if you have a need for anything at all. Maybe you, you're going through this whole imposter thing and, and you, need, you need that thing rooted out of your heart, rooted out of your life. They would love to stand with you and begin that process. Again, you, you've got to do that on your own, but we would love to, to be an assistance in that. So please make your way to that. They'd love to pray with you. I'm going to pray and we're going to respond in worship and with communion. Holy Spirit, we thank you this morning that you're here. God, thank you that you are more committed to rooting out the imposter in our hearts than we are. Lord, I pray for those who, who belong to you yet are afraid to to let you examine them. They're afraid to get alone with you. God, I pray they would overcome their fear in this moment. That they would feel your voice. God, inviting them into the secret place. God, your voice inviting them into the place of encountering you. Lord, we believe, we confess, we declare that the world does not need better churches, with better services, and more robust programs on the mission. God, what the world needs is your sons standing up, looking like, walking like, talking like, by our actions, by our affections, and by our attitude, looking like, behaving like Jesus. So we, 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 we just come to you right now, ask that you begin that process of rooting out the imposter in our lives. we might stand in the assurance of knowing that you are Father and we are Son. God, for those struggling with the mistakes that they've made, thinking that somehow it's disqualified them, would you just show them that you're better at grace than they are at sin? That they might walk in the holiness that you have purchased for them. That they might live glory as sons of God in the earth. Church, let's respond to the Lord.